Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Download Required. I'm Cliff Hickman. I'm coming to you from inside the brand new studio here at the Canton Repository. And it's an absolutely wonderful setup, and I look forward to doing many, many more podcasts from this room. I just wish I had better news for this episode of Download Required. As most of you know by now, legendary Marvel creator Stan Lee passed away yesterday at the age of 95. I wanted to take a day and kind of uh, gather my thoughts before I put anything out. Obviously, I saw the news like everyone else saw the news yesterday, but I didn't just want to rush and, and put something out without putting some thought into it for a little bit. So I, I did want to share what his legacy is and, and what it means to me personally. Um, where do you start with Stan? You, you, you take a look at the characters he's created just at Marvel at numbers well over 300. You're talking about the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, Iron Man, Hulk, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Daredevil. There basically is no Marvel Universe without Stan Lee. There may not even be the superhero genre in, in some respects without Stanley, because when you go back to the time that he created the Fantastic Four, Timely Comics, as it was known at the time, was hurting. It was very, very close to going out of business and ceasing to exist. And what Stan and his frequent collaborator Jack Kirby decided to do was do a book that they wanted to do, and it became the Fantastic Four, but they wanted to do a book that they were proud of and didn't have an editorial mandate on where they had to do certain things. They figure, well, you know, we're going out of business, so... What are they going to do, fire us from a sinking ship? So they launched the, the Fantastic Four, and in many ways, the, the rest is history. Everything just kind of took off from there, and then he collaborates with Steve Ditko on The Amazing Spider-Man, and then you get Iron Man and all these other characters. And perhaps one of the, the biggest... Uh, visions he had was putting all these characters in the same universe because up to that point when most serialized comic book characters were created they did not cross over that much there's a lot of talk about the dc universe that is something that came along much later like batman superman wonder woman those characters were not exactly created with the intent that they would ever cross over with each other at the time whereas the marvel universe was organically constructed in such a way that that was supposed to happen and obviously it's 
A very cool concept and one that still exists today is they built the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, the the story is just absolutely incredible, and, and the legacy. I mean, what what he did is he basically created his own Greek pantheon. These characters, in many ways, are kind of like our tales of uh, modern gods, like you'd find in ancient Greece. You have all these, you know, exceptional abilities but deeply flawed humans and just uh, stories you can never forget and you know I some of the earliest stuff I read was actually Stan Lee's stuff um, the first comic I ever read was not a Stan Lee book I, I did get some of his and reprints of some of his in, in the same batch of stuff it was uh, it was the issue after he left the amazing spider-man he did the first uh, hundred issues or so and then they brought in uh, I believe it was Roy Thomas and it, <laughs> it was the arc where spider-man grew six arms and had to fight uh, Morbius the living vampire and the lizard which as a kid you see a man with spider powers with six arms Arms, a, a giant walking dinosaur and a vampire all in one place and you're like this this is the greatest thing ever how can i get more and luckily there was more because it was you know it was a random box of books and you started to pick those up and i kind of discovered the the love of things there and i went back and found you know it was that was all about spider-man at that point after that first issue i'd go back and i'd get I think they called it Spider-Man Classic. I had the uh, reprint of Amazing Fantasy 15, the first appearance of Spider-Man with uh, Steve Ditko that set the whole thing up. And then you had, uh, you know, the classic issues kept going from there where they actually delved into the Spider-Man series where you had him trying to join the, you know, he's a poor kid. He's, he's just lost his uncle. He's watching his Aunt May seller possess to try to pay the rent and he tries to join the fantastic four to make money and he kind of finds out they're a non-profit organization and it's kind of a heartbreaking moment when that happens but uh, it was i mean just everything was so well planned out so well thought out and i mean i don't know that we're ever going to see anything like it in our lifetime this type of talent just doesn't come around very often and luckily you had a long time to cherish it uh he had a, a longer life than i'd say you know most of us are gonna be <laughs> gonna be able to live um but it's not only the the things he created, but how far ahead of his time with the things he created were. I think he sensed some of the tensions in society when he created something like the X-Men, which uh, multiple uh, disenfranchised groups have latched on to over the years. You have a, a group of people that are uh, hated and feared and, and still fight for the betterment of society. There's just uh, something really, really wonderful and beautiful about that whole concept and how it's still applicable to this day. Uh, try as Marvel has to kill off the X-Men franchise. They didn't own the movie rights. They've really put them on the 
back burner in the comics the last few years but the message itself is so timeless and now that they have those rights with the fox merger i'm hoping we see a little bit better treatment of that obviously at one point the the x-men were i mean the one character he didn't create with the x-men that went on to be a big hit and this is an interview i read the character that he wanted to write the most was wolverine that was uh, not his creation, but he wanted to write him, and to my knowledge, he never really did get a chance, which I'm surprised someone in Marvel uh, didn't find a way to make that happen for a couple pages or a one-shot or something, but uh, that's neither here nor there, but the whole concept of it was he was a big driving force behind it. And then there's just some of the decisions and stories, he, you know, the stories behind some of the uh, the things you think you know now that maybe you didn't then. Like the Incredible Hulk, hardcore fans will know this. In his original appearance, he was gray. The Incredible Hulk was not green. That didn't happen until later. And it's kind of a funny story behind it. And you can actually find this interview. They re-released the old uh, Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno, Incredible Hulk movies on DVD. This was several, maybe a decade 15 years ago, somewhere in that span. I have them. But on those discs, they had exclusive interviews with Stan Lee. And, of course, it was very Hulk-centric because, you know, that's those were the movies. And he talked about uh, creating the Hulk and the fact that he was gray. And he didn't put much thought into it. He gets a call from the printer, and they're saying, uh, look, Stan, we're having a problem. The color gray is not working out real well for us. It's it's coming out inconsistent. The Incredible Hulk is a different shade of gray on every page. You know, is, is there anything we can do about this? He said, well, what colors can you uh, print consistently that this isn't going to happen? And they gave him options, and green was one of them. He just shrugged and said, well, make him green. <laughs> and the rest is history. So had it not been for the printer uh, being unable to print the color gray, the same tone on every page, uh, we would have a gray Hulk today. You would think of him as gray. Instead, I think just about every kid and and even most of the parents think the incredible hulk is green now they still as you know they have done stuff with the uh the gray hulk in the packs you have joe fix it peter david who was at uh, hall of fame city comic-con uh famously brought the gray hulk back as uh joe fix it during his run which was kind of a separate personality that was uh a lot smarter than the Hulk smash green Hulk. Uh, and then there was, they kind of did a callback to those with the color books. I call them and they're actually re-releasing all of these in an omnibus and they're great books. Uh, they're by Jeff Loeb and, uh, Tim sale, but Hulk gray was one of it. And it kind of covers his origin, uh, from a new perspective, kind of taking a look at it as it happened in modern times. And that's a great package because you're getting Hulk gray, you're getting Spider-Man blue, which covers his relationship with Gwen Stacy, uh, Daredevil yellow. That's another one. See, uh, Daredevil and his original incarnation was uh, wearing a yellow costume. You may have seen that at some point, but if you haven't, it's worth looking up. And since Daredevil was in that incarnation, 
Incredible Hulk movie they did at one point where it was the trial of the Incredible Hulk, the Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno made-for-television movie. Uh, John Reese davis from Indiana Jones and Lord of the Rings was actually the kingpin in that film. But they did talk about Daredevil on that same thing. And uh, Stan said he was terrified that Daredevil was going to get him into all kind of trouble because of the fact that Daredevil was blind and does everything by radar. He's going to, and he was really worried that, you know, people that that had vision trouble were going to be just horrified at the thought of a blind superhero and they were going to be really upset with him for making something like that. But as it turned out, the opposite was true. Everyone, he got, he said he got tons of letters from uh, people that, uh, had vision troubles or written by relatives of people that were completely blind saying how much of an inspiration that character was to them to think that they could still get out and accomplish great things despite you know having a very uh, very serious setback so you know the 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 things he did it just can't be understated and then you get into uh, some of the other characters he created, Bill Foster, the Falcon, uh, Black Panther. Um, he had a hand in the creation of all of those guys as well. He wasn't just creating this uh, one archetype, a hero. I mean, it was a very diverse cast. Um, you know, it's just, it's just this wonderful collection of, of, of things out there. And... Uh, we're not going to see anybody like him, I don't think. That's I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that last night where I go, you know, are we ever going to see and, you know, someone create this magnitude of an ongoing story that exists to this day without him even being there to guide it? Is there someone that's going to be able to create, for lack of a better word, this type of pantheon by themselves and the answer is i i don't think so i think this was lightning in a bottle uh, one thing that made me kind of sad yesterday is you had the articles that uh, of course couldn't wait to pile on stan and say he stole everything um from his collaborators and took all the credit and those sorts of things and I don't know, man. The guy created 300-plus Marvel characters. He did it with different collaborators. Um, that's a lot of coincidences. When you think of somebody stealing something or stealing credit, it's more like lightning in a bottle, and they did it once. This guy did it a ton of times, a ton. I, I can't quite get on board with the narrative that it was happenstance that all these things were created and Stan didn't have much to do with it. And it was all the artists and, and I don't know. I don't know. Does Jack Kirby deserve more credit? Absolutely. Do we have to take that credit from Stan to give it to Jack Kirby? I don't think that's true, but for some reason, the people that, cover this industry think that's the way it's got to be you got to tear someone down to build someone up you can't just build someone up and that's the sad part about the state of the comics industry and why this will probably be one of the last times i address it i just don't want to be part of it anymore i don't want to read these books anymore and uh in many ways it feels like this is kind of a natural 
breaking point for me with the industry. I do want to share one more great story. He did create Doctor Strange, who, you know, most of you know from the movies now, a big hit hero played by Benedict Cumberbatch. It was created by Steve Ditko, his co-creator on The Amazing Spider-Man. But uh, people thought Stan, when they read this at the time in the 60s, they thought he was a massive hippie. They were like, man, this guy has to be doing all sorts of awesome drugs him and steve ditko both they were like these guys have got to be doing some awesome drugs to be writing you know hoary hosts of hoggeth and by the mists of ashante and some of these magical terms and psychedelic colors that went with it and they were like we got to go meet these guys and, and applaud them for you know being one of us and then you know kind of standing up to the man so they make their way over to the uh, marvel offices and they catch uh, Stanley and Steve Ditko uh, coming out, and to their surprise, they are not wearing tie dye like they expected them to be. They are not hippies; they are two middle-aged white guys in business suits. But and and this uh, shock kind of the the hippie the hippie gathering <laughs> that had gone to meet them, and they were stunned for a second. But they still went up and talked to both of them. They said they were just really both really great guys, and they had a great conversation with them. But it was just totally uh, not what they expected. There there was no heavy drug use involved. It was just the power of imagination, and uh, I've always found that story just really amusing so i mean yeah there's there's gonna be nothing like this i don't think ever again and uh wish i'd gotten a chance to meet him he was at a couple wizard world conventions around here um think about five years ago six years ago he was around here but it was like five hundred dollars to get an autograph and a picture with stan and as much as i i'd love stanley i mean i went back they used to have these uh marvel essentials these old black and white phone books they're like 15 bucks you could get like 25 to 30 issues i actually read all of his amazing spider-man issues i've read them all (laughs) basically there may be a few scattered ones he came back and did later that i don't have that original run with ditko and john ramita senior and all all those all those guys that that he worked with i've read them all and seen all the appearances first appearances of the great villains and yeah, it's it was just something really special. Some of the moments you see them still take for movies. The whole thing in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming where he's trapped under rubble and he lifts it off of him and, you know, it takes every bit of his strength to do it. That was from one of the the um, one of his amazing spider-man stories and it's one of my favorite moments and that one dr octopus had actually trapped him under rubble when his aunt may was dying and he needed to get the cure to her he had the cure on him he's totally buried in the base and it takes every bit of strength to uh, break out of it and it's just it's the way it was done is very similar 
to the way it was done in the movie just the the stakes were a bit different but I, it really captured that moment well so it's it's not like he just created something that had potential and that people were taking to the next level i mean some of this stuff is being cribbed from his original stories you know flat out and he did not create captain america that was uh, simon and jack kirby and that was before uh, Stan had come along. But as far as the idea to freeze him on ice and move him into modern day, Stan had a big part in that. <laughs> he said he was going to bring Captain America into the Avengers. Everyone's like, how? He's going to be like 60 years old at this point. So that's where you had the the idea of him being frozen and Bucky dying and all those sorts of things that are still kind of core tenets of the character today. I mean, you don't read any arc of Captain America without some mention of him being a man at a time. It's like all the concepts he created are like central to the character. And sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes you'll see a character that gets picked up and somebody else does something and you go back and read the original and realize there was a kernel of a good idea there. It's just other guys took it to the next level. Stan was the next level man. He set the bar so high that everyone is just, it's a struggle to do anything new with the character because in many ways he did it all as far as, you know, the plots and and things like that. It was just really far ahead of its time. Now the dialogue, if you go back and read those is going to be a little wonky. (laughs) There's no doubt about that. If you go find amazing fantasy 15, uh, any of the early amazing Spider-Man issues, you go get one of those essential. I'm sure they still, I hope they still make those because as like, yeah, I mean, as a fan, you know, you're never going to be able to afford amazing fantasy 15. You're just you're not going to be able to do that but the fact you can spend a couple dollars get a reprint see it in full color as it was originally intended is is really cool and i still think they do that from time to time i have so many reprints of that it's ridiculous anytime i see a reprint of a of an early stanley issue or something like that i have them you know then they they started doing the omnibuses i have the avengers omnibus where you have the original art full color Colored, oversized hard covers. Those are a bit more expensive, though. But uh, I mean, you can just you can just see how great the ideas were and how timeless they were, and how they're they're still applicable to this day. And there's just not many people with that kind of foresight. I think uh, it's it's very hard, and it's very hard for someone to be as good as he was. For as long as he was. Because you'll see people have a great idea now. As much as I love uh, Bob Kane. And then you want to talk about controversies. I mean, Stan Lee takes crap for, you know, getting all the credit for creating Marvel characters. And then Bob Kane uh, created Batman with Bill Finger. Bill Finger is almost never mentioned. To which I say we don't need to tear down Bob Kane. We need to build up Bill Finger. Building up Bill Finger does not have to come at the expense of tearing down Bob Kane. That's, That's just my opinion. Everyone else seems to see it differently in the cesspool of an industry but what are you gonna do but again it's like outside of uh batman what else did you know bob kane really do after that and uh 
you see maybe George Lucas with Star Wars. That was one great idea. I mean, what's he really done after that? I mean, it's hard enough to come up with one great idea and to be tied predominantly to one great idea. It's insane to think you're part of like, you know, 30 to 50 great ideas that are still around being turned into movies and television shows. So just think about that for a second. You got guys that created one character and how hard that is to make one enduring character that sticks around forever. Now, Walt Disney, I think, is is the other one that would, that would fit in the Stan Lee class where he created so much stuff that's going to stick around forever. But, I mean, those guys are very few and far and in between. And that doesn't take away from the George Lucases or the or the Bob Canes and the Bill Fingers that were predominantly uh, tied to one character and created, you know, they, did, they created some other characters too. But as far as ones that have really permeated the cultural zeitgeist, you know, they've created one. And that's hard enough to do on its own. And that's where I find the thing that stands <laughs> stole everything kind of. That's where it kind of falls apart to me. So you mean he stole Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, X-Men, Iron Man, Ant-Man, Hulk, Doctor Strange, Daredevil, Black Panther, Kingpin, Doctor Doom, Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, Wasp. You know, the Falcon, he had no hand. It's so, it's the talent was there at some point. He did something with those and contributed to part of them. Were there other guys involved? Yes. Stan was the face of the company, and sometimes when you're the face of the company, you get all the credit, and you also get all the blame. But to me, they were so good at their job, they avoided getting a lot of blame for that reason. He, was, he wasn't just a likable guy. He also ran the business well. I, <laughs> I mean, right now it didn't run real well at Marvel, and... It's a shame because I grew up reading Marvel stuff, and now uh, the quality isn't there. And one of the things uh, that, that I read yesterday and that he also mentioned is he was also, you think of him as this really nice, quiet, uh, grandfatherly, friendly guy, and in many ways he was. Uh, but at the same time, he was not afraid to challenge authority. He had requests from the government to talk about a drug epidemic that, that was going on, you know, at one point during his runs, and he wrote the issues. But because of the comics code that had been established, because, you know, just like it, it, our everything is cyclical. At one point... In the uh, 40s, early 50s, comic books were blamed for the ills of society. You know, everything that was wrong with society could be blamed on comics. So they created the comics code, and it stated you couldn't do certain things. Like, they killed the horror books by saying, like, you couldn't have undead creatures. You couldn't have vampires, which are undead. Which, ironically, is funny. They got around that with that comic I talked about. You said you mentioned Morbius. They got Morbius the vampire you know how they got him in he's the living vampire <laughs> if you if you read the text it said it right there behold Morbius the living vampire because he's not undead he's not undead he can exist and get the code stamp but drugs in any context being mentioned were totally forbidden you couldn't do it that was one of the rules but Stan did these anti-drug books and they covered the uh, you know the 
the consequences of doing drugs and, and some of the things that could happen. And even though they were anti-drug use, the code said, look, the code says you can't you can't mention drugs at all, even if you're taking a stand against drug use. So uh, Stan went to his editor and said, I think we should, I think this is important, and I think we should publish these, code or no code. We don't have to have the code on here. And he said he was worried that, uh, you know, what, what the response would be, but the response was favorable. Marvel backed him to the hilt, and they published those books without the code. And that was kind of some of the early stages of us uh, busting through censorship in the in the comic book industry it was you know stan even had a, a part in that so to paint him as this greedy guy that stole everything and you know was just this you didn't do anything or didn't contribute anything meaningful is in my opinion just wrong and pretty sad to see a couple hours after the guy's death he's been tied to so many great things and that's what you want to talk about but you know that's far leftist comic industry for you so you know what are you gonna do like I said, I'm I'm kind of getting to a point where I love reading the old stuff. I still do. I still I still like the idea of comics. Um, right now, it's just not in a spot where I'm enjoying too many of the things I'm reading. Um, Marvel, in particular, uh, we've covered at length. It's been a tough stretch for them. It's. Uh, Whatever they're doing is just not working, and DC's kind of going down that same rabbit hole. And it's, you know, I've been doing this most of my life, collecting and things like that. And then you see something like Stan Passing, who was a big part of why I was reading the books to begin with. And, you know, I'd reached a point where I was already thinking, you know, do do I, do I stop collecting at this point in my life at, at 35 and having done seen and read a lot and now you're wondering is like is this a sign is this like a natural breaking point for me just to kind of step away from superheroes and just kind of say goodbye to that whole kind of era of my life and i'm kind of leaning towards that at the moment um certainly you can't forget the lessons you learned the the, the great things that that uh, come with being a part of a hobby like that and, and Stan was such a huge part of that for me personally um, you know that's just where we are I don't have much more to say I don't know how much I'll be talking comics in the future so we'll see I guess I, I don't want to say hard and fast no but I'm certainly leaning that way it's 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 been a tough stretch um i was all always a marvel guy and now i'm forced into reading dc and now the dc stuff was is very you know it, it becomes it's tough it's tough and and just the influx of politics the left and the right it's like they keep they they have to make you miserable in every area every other area of your life you ever try to go on facebook i just want to see pictures of my uh you know my nieces and nephews 
whatever they're doing at school, Halloween costumes, having a great time. And in between all that, I get 200 political posts from this side or that. And to which I say, I don't care. I don't like either one of you, you know, I really don't. Um, I don't know if comics is the right venue to be force feeding just these, these issues into that's a cast for another time though. And, but that's a big part of it. It's just like not everything. if you have a good reason to do a political story and if you're able to do something like Watchmen or civil war where you fit it organically into the story, that's fine. But when you're just forcing it in, it becomes really painful, it becomes really obnoxious, and it becomes really unfun really fast. If I want news, I'm going to go to the Times, I'm going to go to the Post, I'm going to go to CantonRep.com. You know, there's a bevy of news sources. I'm not going to Marvel and DC Comics. And you can take that any way you want. I, I liked it better when they were simple moral lessons. And, you know, the X-Men, the great thing about something when Stan created the X-Men is it's applicable to so many disenfranchised groups, not just one. And I don't know. We get just so focused on tribalism and separating people into this, this, this group, this group, this group, this, you know, and it was it was nice to have a period where the the books brought people together instead of now where it seems like all everyone wants to do is tear each other apart so that's that um certainly sad to see stan go uh always have a ton of great memories um some of my favorite issues, even though they're reprints in my collection, are, are things he's written. I even have when uh, Julius Schwartz passed, the longtime DC editor, he uh, wrote a Superman tribute story, and I have that. He did some work for DC after he left Marvel, which kind of shocked everybody at the time. So, I mean, that stuff is out there if you want to pick it up and read it. So there's little novelties like that that... I still get a lot of joy out of. I love watching his interviews. He's one of those guys you can just watch uh, very charismatic. You could watch him talk for hours. And and in many ways, I kind of did. I kind of did. It was hard to uh, turn away from an interview with him. And, uh, you know, I'm going to choose to remember the good things. There's going to be... A lot of questions about this or that, about how people are going to remember him or whatever, and that's their business. And whatever, I don't necessarily care what they think. Uh, I know what I think, and I think the the things he's tied to are going to probably outlive uh, me and you listening. <laughs> so... It's just a rare talent, and you knew you were going to have to say goodbye at... At some point, um, you're always hoping that point would be far off, but that day is here, and and you just uh, we just have to kind of deal with it. So, yeah, I certainly lost a, a titan and and uh, someone I had a, a ton of respect for. So, uh, I guess all you can say is uh, rest in peace, Stan, and we. Uh, you know, just as a fan, I appreciate uh, everything you contributed. And I think that's where I'm going to leave this one. Uh, I'll be back later in the week with uh, Download Required Gaming. 
I'm going to have one of those coming up. The download required gaming is is going to be more frequent. Um, That seems to be what's making me happier. It seems to be what's making the audience happier. And uh, I'll probably let uh, comics uh, rest for a bit after this. This is (laughs) still kind of a tough one for me to swallow. But, uh, again, Stanley has passed as of yesterday. November 12th at the age of 95. I'll catch you later in the week on Download Required Gaming. This has been Cliff Hickman from inside the brand new CantonRep.com studio. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.